Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning, and we welcome you to our worship. And if you're a guest with us today, thank you for joining with us here at Christmas time. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, welcome to you as well. We are in a series through the holiday season called Home for the Holidays, and we're taking a look at different rooms in the house and how those rooms may serve as an illustration of biblical truths. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the dining room. And what's not to love about a dining room? I mean, an inviting table, the scene of family gatherings, delicious food, entertaining and engaging conversations, delectable desserts, relationship building, and delicious food. Some of us will remember Norman Rockwell's classic painting that captures this beautiful multi-generational holiday meal. You've seen the picture before. Uh, I believe we have that here. Yeah, see that grandpa and grandma and all the family gathered around. That's kind of the uh, idyllic family gathering at holiday seasons. But I suspect many Americans have probably never experienced such a classic moment. Our gatherings around the table may sometimes be more like this, where there is a little bit less <laughs> pleasantry. You know, sometimes there is contention around the table. Dysfunction sometimes reigns in our family, which is why the dining room is such an important part because maybe that's where we come back together and become family again around a meal. And if you want to add more ambiance to your dining room this season, pick up a Kentucky Fried Chicken's 11 Herbs and Spices Fire Log. I didn't know, did you know they have one? Toss it in your fireplace, it will burn for three hours, filling your dining room with the scent of the Colonel's fried chicken. <laughs> and just so there's no confusion, the box is marked in bold letters, not actually fried chicken. If you need that warning, you have no business lighting a fire in your fireplace. Perhaps the most famous scene of people around a dining table is that of da Vinci's scene of the Last Supper. Uh, painted over 500 years ago, it has become, well, a celebration for Christians down through uh, the centuries. But you look at that painting and it's all wrong. It's a beautiful painting, don't get me wrong. Uh, and, and it's loved by, by Christians around the world, but it's all wrong. Uh, the room does not reflect a Judean upper room where it all took place. The faces in the painting are faces from Milan, Italy. Uh, the Da Vinci chose to paint them. Those are not from Jerusalem. And the massive table that is there was a relatively new concept. Jesus and his disciples, the Bible said, reclined at table. They were low tables. You propped yourself up on pillows. You gathered all the way around the table, not just on one side of the table. You see, it wasn't that Tables hadn't been around, but by the 16th century, the dining table, as we know it today, was just coming into its own. Here's a couple other little trivia facts. Did you know that in Victorian times, curved table legs were considered inappropriate and were required to be covered lest they incite unnecessary temptation in the minds of the beholders? People, I have been tempted to gluttony by the food on the table but I have never been tempted by the table itself. And I suspect that your dining room today is close to the kitchen. That would make good sense. 
But in years past, the dining room and the kitchen were far apart, maybe on different floors if you had a multi-layered house, or maybe in a different building out back. Because you see, the kitchens were extremely hot, and that was the place where fires often started, and so it would have been a danger to the rest of the house. And so they kept the two far apart. And of course, every culture has their own cuisine preferences. Do you realize that guests in our country are often turned off by certain American foods? Hard to believe, but, but it is true. Here are, here are the top in the list of foods that people who come from around the world just can't imagine us eating. You ready for these? Marshmallows, corn on the cob, which many Europeans consider fit only for animals, corn on the cob. Pumpkin or pecan pie? Who can't like pie? I want to know, all right? Sweet potatoes, crawfish, grits, and hot dogs. All of those are a turnoff to guests from around the world. But in fairness, I am uncomfortable with other cultures' delicacies, such as sea urchins, horse meat, toasted grasshoppers, sea slugs, sheep's eyes, Scottish haggis, or English kidney pie. You will not find me at any of those dining room tables. The scriptures are saturated with images of dining, food, sharing, acts of hospitality. And it is this picture in scripture of the dining table and how it plays or the dining moment and how it plays such an impact on us uh, that it, it is worth reviewing. So well, let's examine some biblical truths that grow out of our experiences in dining with one another and today, of course, in the dining room. Here's the first thing. Share what you have. Share what you have. I get a daily email from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It's called the Word of the Day. And Friday's word of this week happened to be xenophobia, fear of strangers. The New Testament word that we translate hospitality literally means love of strangers. Hospitality is a virtue that is both commanded and commended throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, it was especially praised by God, and it was seen as one of a family's highest duties to be hospitable to others. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 33 says, when an alien, and the word means stranger or foreigner, lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were also aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, Leviticus was written to these recently freed slaves who'd been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They're on their way to the promised land, and there were people that were nomadic and from other countries that joined up with them in their trek to the promised land, and God says, you treat them as part of your own. I got to tell you this morning that I truly cherish the international students and international families who worship with us here. They enrich my life so much with their stories, their smiles, their willingness to serve, and their deep faith in challenging circumstances. Some of the folks that worship with us will be going home after they complete their education here, and they will face persecution. I've baptized some knowing that the very act of baptism puts them in danger when they leave our country. I'm ever so grateful that we do not face the dangers that they face. 
But my faith and my resolve is strengthened by our international guests who will serve Christ despite the circumstances that they find at home. They make us a better congregation, so let us make sure that we practice a godly hospitality so that when they come to worship with us here, we make them feel like this is their home away from home. You might even start during this holiday season. A lot of our international students won't be going anywhere. And so if you have time and, and you're not traveling and you've got plenty around, well, I, you might just invite one of our international students home with you for a day or so during the holidays. It'll enrich them and it will enrich you as well. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 and 2 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers, talking about family now, and do not forget to entertain strangers, the folks that are not family. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, there are two aspects of hospitality here, uh, loving one another and, and treating one another inside the family, like brothers and sisters. And then there are those who you don't know outside these walls. Of the two... Family hospitality is always easier. We're always more relaxed around the people that we know. People that maybe we agree with. People that see things the way we see them. People that share the same faith that we do. But even today, with our hectic schedules and multiple distractions, even family hospitality is getting harder to come by. My maternal grandparents spent their lives in a rural setting in Spencer County. Uh, as the crow flies about two miles south of where Holiday World is. Uh, life was not easy then, but it was less complicated, I think, than today. As a kid, I did not realize that my grandparents didn't have much by this world's standards because they were always so hospitable with what they did have. Now, in, in, in my grandparents' home church, uh, the preacher came once every other week, and so they only had Sunday full services. They had Sunday school every week, but they only had Sunday full services every other week because on the off weeks, he was at a different church. And so they shared the preacher back and forth. But, but it was ever so often that my grandmother would host the preacher and his wife after the services. And there were lots of Sundays when we were there too. And I saw my grandmother uh, model hospitality. She filled that table with more food than, than all of us could eat. And it was always so good. And, and the conversation was interesting. Even as a kid, I was fascinated by uh, the conversation. And, and on Sundays when my, the preacher wasn't there, I think my grandparents had either a friend or family member that would oftentimes come and join them around the, the old farm table. And I think my grandparents experienced a joy through that hospitality that few of us understand today. They built relationships around that dining room table that lasted lifetimes. And I'm ever so grateful I got to witness such godly interaction, that I learned what biblical hospitality was about. Now, here's the good news. We can start making some changes to be more hospitable, to practice it more frequently with those in the family. Building relationships around a table, the dining table, that will, well, I hope, last a lifetime for us. The more difficult of the two involves hospitality outside these walls. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to entertain strangers, or in other words, practice hospitality, those that we do not know. 
Now, it's very possible he was writing to encourage the first century Christians to be hospitable to travelers who were passing through, or perhaps Christians who were fleeing persecution from other parts of the globe. Treat them with kindness. During the American Civil War, folks, Christians were instrumental in working in the Underground Railroad to help escaping slaves. So you see, there is a precedent for that kind of reaching out to those that we don't know with the hospitality. As a matter of fact, part of our ministry here at Sherwood Oaks is to be hospitable in our community. We open our building to many groups and many meetings because we believe that's a way we can help and encourage others in our community. We believe that's being hospitable. And while we seldom talk about it, you need to know that you have been a blessing through your gifts. After all, there are different ways to feed people. It doesn't always have to be around a dining room table. There's, there's plenty of different ways to be hospitable. It doesn't have to be a literal table. Let me give you some examples. In the last six months, last half of this year, we have helped 72 homeless folks with prescription medications, 54 families with medicine, shelter, and transportation. At Volunteers in Medicine, we have provided diabetic test strips, glucometers, life-saving medications, vaccines, dental and medical supplies, as well as educational materials. And we've provided over 200 bus passes to help people get to and from their jobs so they can keep those jobs. During this 2019 season of giving from just October to December, this church family has demonstrated their faith and hospitality outside these walls by donating hats, mittens, scarves, socks, and coats to local schools and shelters. We've helped stuff a bus with new toys for kids through Bloomington Transit. We've raised over $4,000 on one Saturday by ringing Salvation Army red kettlebells at 11 different locations. We've donated 1,500 Operation Christmas Child gift boxes, as well as serving as a collection site for the region. Over 13,000 of those Operation Christmas Child boxes have passed through these doors and have been shipped around the world to make a difference. The women's Christmas breakfast, just at the breakfast a couple weeks ago, they collected $817 from Monroe County United Ministries. 137 units of life-giving blood have been collected here by the Red Cross, enough to potentially save 411 lives. And only God knows the gifts that have been sent to our mission partners by you using the Global Market Guide. And in these last few weeks, you have adopted 75 families, and your generosity has provided Christmas gifts for 125 children who would not have a gift to open on Christmas morning without you. That's hospitality. Yes. Now, I don't share this with you so we can pat ourselves on the back. That, that's not the purpose. It's so that we can realize what can be done when we come together and practice biblical hospitality. Remember, I'll say it again. There are different ways to feed people without being around a table. So get creative Think of the multiple ways that you can show the love of Christ to someone you may not know or that you just don't know too well. And did you catch that thought-provoking line there in Hebrews? Who knows? You might entertain an angel by doing so. Boy, that's, a real, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? I, I don't know that I've ever entertained an angel. I don't think I have. But who, how would we know? You may never entertain an angel but be an angel 
and demonstrate hospitality to those in the family of God and to those outside these walls. Share what you have and the blessing will come back to you. Here's the other thing. Celebrate what you have in Christ. So we're going to share what we have, but then we're going to celebrate what we have in Christ. Here's something that I've noticed about dining rooms through the years. They are usually reserved for special occasions, for the moments that we want to celebrate. Now, ordinarily, Elsie and I will eat our meals either at uh, the, the little dinette table in, uh, just off the kitchen or at the kitchen counter. Occasionally, we'll, we'll eat off of TV trays. But I don't think she and I have ever sat down at our dining room table by ourselves to eat a meal. That would just feel awkward. It's being a, being a little bit larger table, you see. Dining rooms today are the places of celebration. It's where our enlarged family gathers for Thanksgiving or birthdays or Christmas or the different special occasions that we want to mark. And, And you see, we do that because we have so much to celebrate as a family. And we have, as a church family, so much to celebrate in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we have purpose. There is an excitement and a reason for getting up every day, not just excitement on Christmas morning. And I'm not suggesting that you necessarily need to roll out of bed with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Some of us just aren't morning people. But by the way, how many morning people do we have here that get out of bed with a smile and a song in your heart? Let me see your hands. Okay, that's more than I was expecting being the 11 o'clock service. Um... (laughs) I, I tell you what, I was blown away at the other two services by the people who, you know, I am not by nature a morning person. I was sort of depressed after the first two services, you know, all the people that jump out of bed with a smile and, you know, I get out of bed, but I just don't necessarily do it quickly with a smile on my face. And that's okay. God made us all different people. And that, it has nothing to do with whether you get up happy and pleasant or you get up grumpy in the morning. This is about having a reason to get up, period. And that's what makes life exciting. Once we get going, man, we are charged up because we have a purpose that is greater than anything we experience in this world. Folks, I cannot imagine waking up to the idea that I have no lasting identity, that my life is basically random, temporary, and ultimately meaningless, and that when I'm dead and gone, I will just simply seem to disappear. I will no longer exist. Now, if I believe that, I think I'd just roll over and stay in bed. There'd be no real reason to get up. But God has this grand purpose. And God has invited us to share in that grand purpose. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I want to be a partner with that purpose that prevails. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty, this is the whole purpose, if you please, of man. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
oh, folks, we, we have this grand plan of God, and our ultimate purpose is to honor him by loving God and loving others. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets rests on that. So our purpose in life is to honor God by loving him and loving others. And everything moves then toward the culmination of God's plan. Hey, when God's plan is finished, I'm going to be on the winning team. How about you? You know, and it's, um, it, it, it's not our call. It is God's call. I just want to be with him. I want to be celebrating him. I want to be celebrating life because we have purpose and meaning to our life through Jesus Christ. So, celebrate because you have a purpose. You have meaning. You have a reason for being here. You have a reason for existing. Here's something else. Because of Jesus, we can be joyful. Now, stop and think about what is it that's unique about the Christmas season? And you say, well, it's the colors of red and green. Well, yeah, but every season has its special colors. Or it's the special food. Yes, but every season has its special foods. I think, I think one of the things that sets Christmas apart is, um, is the music. Now, what sets it apart, obviously, is the birth of Christ. But do you know of any other season of the year that has so much music devoted to the celebration of something so special? And, and this is why I believe. It's because music brings joy. Sometimes the silence can be overwhelming and just a little bit of music in the background and all of a sudden your spirits are raised. Music brings joy. Did you know, however, there was a time in American or in English history when there was silence that filled the air during the Christmas season? In the 17th century, the English Parliament, who was un, which was under Oliver Cromwell's reign at that time, abolished Christmas music. Carols were outlawed because they believed the holiday celebration had become a little bit too worldly and wild. So for more than a hundred years, silence greeted the celebration of the birth of Christ. But in 1739, Charles Wesley broke the silence with a song that remains a favorite today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. At age 29, William Dix was stricken with a serious illness that left him bedfast and depressed. But during his recuperation, he penned the hauntingly beautiful and powerful words to, What child is this? The lyrics give us the reason for our joy. It tells us the story of why Jesus came. In one of the verses, we read this. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. In the very month, in the very month that the American Civil War began, the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow family was struck with tragedy. A house fire claimed his wife's life. And Wadsworth himself was severely burned. Whenever you see this picture, this is the picture I always think of him with the big white beard. The fire is the reason he wore the beard. His face was so scarred that he couldn't shave. And uh, he let the beard grow as a reminder of the tragedy. 
Two years after his wife perished in their home fire, two years later, Longfellow received word that his oldest son, Charles, a lieutenant in the Union Army, had been severely wounded in battle. The Christmas of 1863, in Longfellow's journal, was empty. Silence. But in 1864, in Christmas, on Christmas Day of 1864, with news that his son Charles had indeed survived and that the war was tapering off and nearing an end, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow penned these words of hope that have lived long after him in this song we hear and sing at Christmas. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. We sing at this season of the year because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I know, I know that some of you have had bad news this year. You've experienced great sorrow and tragedy. This has been one of the worst years of your life. And you too may be saying, it would be better if Christmas was just silent. But silence does not celebrate the joy in our hearts. And folks, you need to remember that joy is independent of the circumstances around us. We can have the worst year ever and still be at a point of joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, because of him, because of him, we have hope amidst the bad news. We have confidence even in our struggles. We have joy despite our tears. Why? Because we know that this broken world is not the end of the story. Jesus is the one who writes the end of our story, and we want to be partnered with him to celebrate the joy that comes through him. And, and, and this is true. Because of Jesus, we have a seat at God's table. Ha, did you realize that? We have a seat at God's dining room table. Revelation 19.9 says, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, These are the true words of God. Last week, I ended up by quoting that passage from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when it says, Behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And of course, perhaps the most unforgettable words about a table in Scripture come from Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, I think we might understand that passage a little bit better if we saw it through the eyes of a shepherd. Do you know that the, the, the best pasture lands in Judea at that day and time were on the plateaus, the high plateaus? If you go out and travel out west, you'll see these plateaus we call the mesas out west. The, the, the Spanish word mesa means table. And so the table lands of Judea were the places where the sheep could find greatest pasture. 
And early in the spring, before the flocks would go up to the pasture lands, the shepherd would go up before them. And the shepherd would dig up all the poisonous plants and he would clean the winter debris out of the water holes and he would add salt to the ground to enrich the sheep's diet and he would search out the hiding places of the predators, the enemy, and get rid of them. Such is the picture of Jesus. He goes before us to prepare the tableland for us. He's removed our sin that poisons our future. He's provided us with living water. He's made us the salt of the earth, and he is protecting us constantly from the evil one. And then, and then the good shepherd invites us to his eternal wedding feast in the dining room of heaven. Wow. How exciting is that? You don't want to miss that. The reason we celebrate at Christmas is because of, of the joy that we have in him and because we've been invited to his table forever. After the Cascade, Iowa resident Maxine Minster passed away, her family tried to think of what they should put on her tombstone. They concluded that her recipe for Christmas sugar cookies was what defined her best. So on the back of her granite headstone is the recipe for mom's Christmas cookies. And it includes all the ingredients, even the instructions for the oven temperature. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. It's hard to beat a homemade Christmas sugar cookie. And I love the cookies. But that's not what I want on my tombstone. I want to be remembered I want you to be remembered for something far more important. I want us as the body of Christ to be remembered for inviting as many people as possible to the king's table to celebrate for all eternity. When we get home, it'll be the people that we've invited to join us at his table that will mean the most. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.